together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you remember our drama of two years ago, My Heart, Christ's Home? We decorated this this whole front of the church and we built a house. And a character playing Jesus came and knocked on the door and came into the house. And Robert Munger wrote this fascinating little book that we gave out dozens and dozens, several hundred copies to ourselves and to our friends and our neighbors. And it's a marvelous story picturing the Christian life as a house. And Jesus comes in. And he goes from room to room. He goes to the library of the mind. And he comes and starts to to clean up the trash that's there in the mind. And he replaces it with his word. He goes into the dining room of the appetites, and he sees the appetites of materialism and pride and envy and lust, and he replaces them with humility and purity and generosity and faith. But finally, finally the character goes up to the closet. Do you remember in that scene he goes to the closet and the owner of the house is reluctant to open the door of the closet. Because there's lots of stuff in the closet he doesn't want Jesus to see. But Jesus does come inside the closet and he cleans it up and then at last he settles down and he feels at home. My heart, Christ's home. Paul prays. You see, that Munger got this from this prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Take up his residence in your hearts through faith. Is your heart Christ's home? If it is, then this prayer is your prayer. This is a prayer I hope that you will learn, memorize, and pray, and pray for other people, just putting your name in, putting their name in over and over again. Marvelous prayer. I read Warren Wearsby this week, Brian Bill this week, Brian Chapel. fantastic commentaries on the book of Ephesians. I was overwhelmed with the richness, the depth of this glorious prayer. Could we all learn to pray like this? He starts off, I mentioned, he says, I kneel before the... Bo- before the Father. Now look, I, I, if, if you know anything about Presbyterian history, you know that Presbyterians do not like to be commanded to do anything that the Bible doesn't command. And the Bible doesn't command you to kneel. You know, and the, part of the Reformation was priests don't tell us whether to kneel or sit or lie down or whatever unless the Bible tells us to do it, you know. Uh, but, but the Bible does command a posture of the heart. 
And the Apostle Paul's here, his knees buckle before God on this day as he writes this prayer. Like Solomon before the dedication of the temple, when Solomon kneels in front of the assembly of the people. One commentator did the counting. I never counted it up. But even though Paul kneels humbly before God, he addresses him as Father. And one commentator says, Paul calls God Father 42 times in his epistles. And that's the name Jesus used more than any other name to address God. Do you think we should learn from them? This statement of intimacy, this declaration of trust before his Father in heaven. And notice who he includes. He includes the whole family of God. And Martin Hahn, when he preached here, he talked about how people can get divided, right? And are the Gentiles really welcome into the family of God? And Paul says it again. Before whom the whole family on earth, and by the way, in heaven, apparently God also has family in heaven, derive its name. And all are welcome. All who name the name of Christ, who, in whom Christ dwells, are welcome to come to call God Father. Wow. Now, we started the communicants class yesterday. Great group of young people. Fantastic group. We started the class. We talked about the Trinity yesterday. For those of you who are in the class, don't forget... God is one, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And notice in this prayer, as God prays, he addresses uh, all members of the Trinity. Verse 14, I kneel before the Father. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. And in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is precious to us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is our God. We pray to the Father through Christ the Son in the power of the Spirit. And notice this, that the prayer is focused not on the outer man. He's not praying for the physical body. He's praying for the inner person. And I... I have to be honest with you, when we pray, so much of our prayer is for health, for circumstances, isn't it? You know, and I'm, I'm just like anybody else. I want to pray that God would heal me. I want to pray that God would, would take away the ache or the pain or the suffering that I'm going through. But in this prayer, this, this glorious, great example for us of what prayer should be, his main concern is not with the body, but with the soul. And when you pray, are you like that? More about the heart, more about the spirit, more about the soul. It's okay to pray for healing. It's okay to pray for the body. But it's about your heart that he is concerned. Okay, now we come to the petitions. The, the, these petitions. And Warren Wearsby, a great, great Bible scholar, he said that these petitions are not separate, but they're like a telescope that you that you pull out. And one leads right into the next. And 
One request is that in your inner being you will have spiritual strength, which in turn will lead to a deeper experience with Christ. And that experience then enables you to comprehend and understand God's love. And then out of that, you will experience fullness, the fullness of God. Are you with me in that? You see, we're going to just explore this. These petitions, as this prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit, is a model for us of how to pray. So, out of his glorious riches, he wants to bless you. Did you see that little phrase? It's not about how good you are at receiving it. The endowment fund, right? The trust fund is endless. Out of his glorious riches, he wants to bless you. What does he want to give you? The first request is for strength through his Holy Spirit. And do you ever wake up in the morning, your eyes open up, and you start the day? Oh, some of you, that, that happens. And do you know what you should pray right then? You should pray, Lord, give me strength, because I need strength. It's okay. You're praying for strength of your soul, strength of your character, strength to meet your boss at work, strength to discipline your children at home, strength to love your husband, strength to bless your wife, whatever it might be. Do you ever need strength? Then start the day asking God. Because Paul also says, I can do all things through Christ who what? Gives me strength. It's a great way to start as you pray. The word translated there is the word dunamis. What does that sound like? Dynamite. It's that kind of spiritual power. You are asking him for the power to live for him and for his glory. Our bodies get old. Our bodies get frail. Paul writes, the Bible says, uh, the outer man is wasting away. You have a birthday, it's one more year closer. The outer man is wasting away, but the inner man, the inner man is renewed day by day. So you ask him for strength, and he will give you strength by his Holy Spirit. You rely on the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit empowers you, then as you go on in verse 17, you're able to go deeper in your walk with Christ. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he prays that you will be rooted and established in love. Now, there's three verbs in this sentence. Three verbs here. Dwell, uh, uh, to be rooted, and to be established. What's this all about? What's he talking about here? This word dwell, it literally means to downhouse. (laughs) That you take the word apart. It it means to come into the house and feel at home. Just like my heart cries home. Just like the the, uh, play that we put on here. He wants Christ to dwell in your heart and settle down there to be home. Now, when I was a boy, before, some of you know my dad had a farm, but before he bought the farm, (coughs) he bought this cabin out in the woods. A little... A little cabin, 
wasn't too glorious. But it was a great place to go in the summer and have lots of fun out in the woods. But when winter came, what did we have to do in this cabin that had no insulation? We had to winterize the cabin. What you do, you turn off the water. You empty out the toilets. You get all the food out of the house. You, you shut it up tight. You put a cover on the chimney so that the snow and the, the critters don't come down in. And then the house is barren, locked up, lifeless and cold. And the winterized cabin is like the heart of a man who does not have Jesus living inside. There's no life. There's no, no real good can exist. It's just there getting dank and a little stinky by the time you open it up in the spring. Cluttered with sin. Every person, the Bible says, is born with a winterized heart. That's what the Bible says. You are born with a winterized heart until Christ dwells in your heart through faith. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need Christ to come and give you new life. You need new life. And when we would open up the cabin in the springtime, you would have to actually go from room to room and open, throw open the windows, open the shutters, Turn on the faucets. Let the spring come in. And I'm asking you today, if you still have rooms in your life that are still winterized, do you? Rooms that you don't welcome the Holy Spirit into. Rooms that you don't welcome Jesus into. Our faith, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith in Jesus is saying, come and open up every room. Are you with me on this? Are are you there in your life? That today you're making a commitment. You're saying again, Lord Jesus, here's my heart, and it's it's been winterized in some of these rooms. (laughs) We're going to open it up, open the windows, and invite you in and the Spirit to come in and do your cleansing springtime work. And then he uses this word, that you would be rooted, and he takes this word from the plant world. It's an agricultural term. And a tree has to have roots that run down deep into the soil. If you're going to have nourishment, then you need roots that run into the love of God. If you're going to have stability, if a tree is going to stand, it needs roots. Because if a tree has shallow roots, what happens when the wind comes, when the storm comes? Boom! It falls over. So Paul is praying, and you need to pray that you will have roots in your soul that run deep, deep, deep into the love of Christ. He wants you to be rooted in Christ. Then he wants you to be established. Now he goes from an agricultural term to an architectural term. And here the word is one that is like the foundation of a building. And again, he's talking about stability in your life. You know, we're all weak people. We all struggle. And yet, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, there should be a stability to your life, a steadfastness to your life, that you're built on Christ, the foundation. 
That's why the church has always loved that, that old hymn, On Christ, the solid rock I stand, right? All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Yeah, the sand, it moves, it moves. But Jesus Christ is a rock. And so you pray, Lord, would you be the foundation for my life, no matter what storms come? Because then I will stand. Are you with me in this? Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. You will be praying to be rooted. The roots of your soul run deep into him and his love. And you will be established on a foundation, on a rock. He prays for strength. He prays for depth. But the third request is for understanding or comprehension of the love of God. And at our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, Christine and Chandia said, we were talking about this passage, and Christine said, this is the great crescendo of the book of Ephesians. Do you know what a crescendo is when the orchestra is playing? The orchestra is playing this beautiful melody, and all of a sudden, the timpani starts banging, and the trumpets begin to sound, and the violins are playing in unison as, as loudly as they can. There's this majestic crescendo. And in verse 18, Paul comes and he says that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge. The crescendo of Ephesians 3 is right here. He wants you to pray for strength. He wants you to pray for depth and stability in your life. But oh, what he wants you to know above all is the love of Christ for you. And you pray for that. You and I, we we need to pray. Lord, show me afresh. Show me again. Wrap your arms around me. Hold me close. Draw me near, Lord. I need you. I need to hear again how much you love me. Mike Parenti is standing up on the stage in his comedy routine. And he, he tells jokes and people howl with laughter. But every once in a while, Mike drops a bomb, all right, and nobody laughs. And I can see in his eyes, he's like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? What Paul is saying here is he wants, if we were talking about a joke, we'd be saying, do you get it? Do you get it? Louis Armstrong was asked by somebody to explain jazz, and he said, if you need an explanation, you don't got it. You got to get it. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, I want you to grasp. Seize, another translation, is to seize the love of God. That is everything for us, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He wants you to get it. And it's not, by the way, just for the super spiritual people. And this is a huge mistake. And some of us, some of us in this room, we're, our Christian experience is just going to church or just attending or, you know. No, 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 no. You don't leave it for the super spiritual people. He says, for all the saints, all the saints. When I pray for this church, I pray for all the saints. And you should pray for them too. All of us, together. 
What are these four dimensions? I love this. I love this. How wide is God's love? It is so wide that it reaches to all nations all around the globe. Immense. How long is God's love? Is he talking about time or space? Distance or or time? What do you think here? I'm not sure how long is it. I, I think it's probably about time. It existed before time. It will never end. It is unconditional. But as far as the east is from the west, that's how God's love is. How high is God's love? How high will God's love reach? It reaches to the heavens. And the angels are celebrating God's love. And he will, because of his love, lift you up to heaven one day. How deep is God's love? How low will God's love go? Will it go down to the gutter? God's love goes down into the gutter. It goes, in Psalm 113, to the ash heap, or a better translation, it goes to the junkyard where people are broken and lost. How deep is the love of Christ? There is no, you can't fall so low that he cannot go lower and save you. In the first century, in the first century, the early Christians who faced the lions, remember um, the Romans would send them to their death because of their faith. They would send them to the lions. And before they would leave in the catacombs, before they were sent out, they reminded each other of the love of Christ demonstrated on the cross. And here's what they would say. They would say, remember the cross. For the cross touched the earth and pointed to heaven and stretched out in both directions. That's how much he loves you. And that was the word of the elders to the man or the woman or the child that was going to meet their destiny. Never forget. It reaches to the, points to the heavens, reaches to the ground, and points to the east and to the west. That's how great is the love of Christ for you. Charles Spurgeon. Do you know who Charles Spurgeon is? The great old London preacher. Charles Spurgeon tried to understand this passage. And he said, the love of Christ in its sweetness, its fullness, its greatness, its faithfulness passes all human comprehension. Where shall language be found which shall describe his matchless, unparalleled love toward human beings? It is so vast and boundless that just as the swallow does not just skims the water and does not dive into its depths, So all descriptive words only touch the surface, while immeasurable depths lie beneath. Are you with me on this? Do you get this picture? Spurgeon had a way to explain things. He's saying that the love of Jesus Christ for you is like a vast ocean, huge and deep. And if you've ever been out on a cruise ship or out on the expanse of the ocean, and it goes miles down and hundreds of miles wide, and you see a little swallow, one little bird, and the bird swoops down and just touches the water for an instant and goes back up. He said, that's the best the preacher can do to describe for you how great is the love of God. But you know, there's another kind of bird. There's the bird that, have you ever seen them? They see the fish about five feet below the surface of the water. And I'm not sure what kind of bird, the predatory bird it is, but they're the ones that come down straight down, head first, whoosh, down into the water. 
down deep. And they grab the fish, you see, and they come up. And that's the way I want you to live. That's the way I want to live, in the love of Christ. You know the old hymn, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unending, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of thy love, reaching onward, reaching homeward, ever to thy courts above. I love that hymn. I love it because that's the way we need to live. Be like the the second bird. Sunday after Sunday when we come, the musicians, the preacher, what are we doing here? We're trying to get all of us to be like those birds, to plunge down into the water so that underneath me, all around me, is the current of his love. Unfortunately, things get in the way, and we build walls to this love of Christ. What ways do you build walls? What ways do you winterize, you see, the rooms? I'll tell you what you do, because you're like me. I know what you do, the games, the, the mental games we play with God. We tell ourselves lies, and we get suspicious. We get suspicious of people, and we get suspicious of God. And we say, you know, I've been hurt in the past, and so I'm not going to trust anyone. Fool me once. Okay, you fooled me once. Nobody's going to fool me again. And that is a lie. You're telling yourself a lie, because deep down, then, you, you are reluctant to trust God. You won't even really dip your toe in the ocean. Somebody else, your problem isn't suspicion. Your problem is self-sufficiency. That's what your problem is. You're strong, you're talented, you're educated, you're successful. And you're going to make it on your own. After all, that's what your parents taught you to do. You're self-sufficient. And that's a lie. Because you can't even take a breath apart from the love of God. Even the breath that you have when your eyes wake up in the morning, that's a gift from God for you because he loves you. So self-sufficiency is a lie. But somebody else, somebody else says, oh, I would put my foot in the water. I would, I want the love of God. But I am afraid he will reject me because I look at my track record and I blow it. And I'd blow it. And I know that he could never really love me. And that is a lie. That is a lie. How do you know that he loves you? Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And somebody else says, oh, I, I wish I had the love of God, but the love of God isn't safe. It's not safe. Remember in the Chronicles of Narnia? You know, the little girl, Lucy, she wants to meet Aslan. She wants his embrace more than anything. But remember, she says, is he he safe? And what was the answer? No, he's not safe. If If your highest goal in life is to be safe, And God is really dangerous. And God's love is really dangerous for you. Because he might might ask you to love people that are unlovely. And he might ask you to 
to spend your time and your fortune and your energy doing things for his kingdom. And he might. He's not safe. But he's good. Lucy. And when you meet him, you'll see. Yes. Are you afraid of the love of God? Some of you are. That's a lie. I'll tell you for the teenagers. I'll tell you what keeps you from the love of God. So many teenagers, it's this is that you have to be popular. You have to be popular. And the most important thing in the world is that people, that your friends, your boys, boyfriends and girlfriends will accept you. And, and you know what? That's important. But it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the love of Christ for you. That matters even more. So let's all of us, let's be like the bird, not the sparrow that just skims the water. Let's learn in our prayer life. You get this image in your mind when you go to prayer at nighttime or in the morning or when we come to church, that we are coming together with all the saints to dive down deep into the ocean of the love of God. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love. You are already saved. You are already already complete in him. But Paul says the fourth part of the telescope is fullness. That you may be measured, filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And this, how, how, can, how can you, a finite person, have the fullness of God inside of you? This is a mystery. But what he has in mind, I think is like trying to take the air out of an empty cup and make it full. How do you get the air out of an empty cup? You fill it with water. You fill it with wine. You fill it with whatever you want to fill it with. And as you fill it, the air flows out. And this is what we are to be. We are creatures created to be filled with God, your soul, filled with God. You want power, give me strength. You want depth, the roots and the foundation that go deep. And you want to understand his love so that you are filled with God. Is that your desire? That's what I want and what I want for us. How will you, what, what action steps should you take? Could I suggest that you memorize this prayer? That you memorize this prayer. And you pray it for yourself and you pray it for other people. And then you use it to do what the, what the old folks used to call contemplation. I'll close with this. I want you to understand, North Shore, brothers and sisters, it's one thing to have information about God and his love. And you've got to have accurate information, faithful teaching that opens the word and gives it to you. You need the information. But the second step is meditation. You go from information to meditation, and that's where you start thinking about it, cogitating, reflecting on it. And so maybe you get the information about while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you take that and you start to think, wow, you meditate on it, and you say, that's amazing. Somebody who's completely holy would actually give up their life and suffer pain and death for somebody else. Wow. 
I don't know if I could do that. But Jesus Christ did that. And you're stunned. That's meditation. But that's not far enough. The next step, shown to us in the Psalms and shown to us in the book of Revelation and shown to us in many places in the Bible, is contemplation, where then you meet with God and you apply what you have just meditated on to your very existence. And you say, not only is that amazing that Christ died for sinners, but then you say, you died for me. Thank you, Lord. I owe you my life. I can't believe my sins are completely forgiven. Thank you, Lord. And some of us have never moved from this information to meditation to contemplation where you actually engage him. You know, we sang the, the hymn right before the, uh, during the offering. I chose that old hymn. And did you notice, those of you familiar with it, I changed the last verse. The last verse usually says, Jesus, I do now receive him. More than all in him I find. He has granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. But guess what? We changed it today. I don't know if you noticed. Because the way I just quoted it is meditation. I changed it. Jesus, I do now receive you. More than all, in you I find. You have granted me forgiveness. I am yours and you are mine. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous singing. Is he safe? No, he's not safe. But don't be afraid because he is good. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. You are with me to the end. A little girl turned to her mother after church. She said, Mommy, the pastor's sermon was confusing today. She said, Why is that, honey? She said, Because he said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? She said, Yes, honey, that's true. Well, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? a good question. Is your heart Christ's home? Is it winterized or is it springtime? Let's go to springtime today. Let's invite him to dwell richly in us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it's too often we are like the swallow that just dives down and, and nips the water when the ocean of your love is so immense and so great. Oh, Lord, forgive us. I so long for myself, for my family, and for our church family to be rather like that bird that dives down head first and plunges deep, deep, deep into the ocean of your love. How high, how wide, how long, how deep is it? Show us, O oh Lord. 
there's winter in some of our some of our lives. They're winterized. We've sealed the door shut tight. Maybe it's it's a, a relationship. I'm just hard and bitter. Maybe it's some aspect of who I am, my sexuality, or my money, or I just hate my boss. Maybe, Lord, I'm hopeless. Whatever it is, I'm taking my heart and I'm opening it to you. I'm going to be like that bird again. I'm going to plunge down. And I ask you to receive me and to wash me in your love. Would you do this for us, Lord, so that you will show through. You'll fill us to overflowing and you will show through us to this poor world. Oh, thank you. Thank you for what you're going to do in this coming week, in these coming months, in, in us as a church family. Thank you for this great crescendo of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord. Thank you.